all profit is value extraction. And that means that all profit is theft from you. Corporate America is on welfare, and they you got to get them off welfare. Hey, welcome to Cars and Comrades. My name is Bryant. We've got Brandon, Yo, Zach, Howdy, and Connor here today. Hey. So it's our it's your uh, socialist car podcast for the week. We're going to be talking about a few different things. Um, I guess our main topic today is going to be the Numi plant in California, and the reason why. I guess Toyota's management system meant that uh, you couldn't get toilet paper last year. So um, it's a it's a timely subject. It's a it's a intricate story of supply chains and manufacturing and unions and all kinds of interesting things. And and we'll we'll hate on Tesla for a little bit in there. Don't all worry. All right, as long as we get to do some of that. Yeah, there's always but, an uh, excuse to do that. <laughs> I- I actually, like uh, the the news from this week that I saw, it looked kind of good. Like maybe it was a win win for us or a lose lose or something. But the police are suing Tesla. Oh yeah, I think I think they said, uh, "Don't we're, worry, we're gonna totally fix the uh, running into ambulances problem that we have." <laughs> but uh, I don't know if that actually got fixed or not. <laughs> like anything else he does, he's just going to say he's fixed it and then it's not going to be fixed and it'll be a scandal in two years. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I've got I've got a few examples of that from like 2018 that uh, that we'll get to. But um, what was I going to say? Oh, and uh, I guess we'll get to our project car updates. But I guess for the listeners, this they might be a little bit out of order with the next couple episodes. Uh, we, we recorded sort of a crossover episode with another podcast and they're, they're a little bit more competent than we are and plan things out ahead. Uh, and whereas we just kind of throw shit together at the last minute. So, um, Oh, gee, yeah. Brian, you just spoiled the, our listeners might've thought we actually put some, <laughs> some real effort into this and plan things out. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I did spend a couple hours last night going over my notes and copying and pasting things from Wikipedia. I mean, that's that's, that's some work right there. I gotta I gotta hit like two keys on the keyboard at the same time. Hey, that's too much. That's a lot. Yeah. But um, hey, normally, the kind of folks I hang out with when they talk about hitting two keys, it means something way different. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what was I gonna say? Um, I don't know. I don't know what our order is for uh, who's who's uh, talking about their project cars first. I, th- I think we're a little, a little out of order in more ways than one. But let's uh, go reverse alphabetical, huh? Yeah, oh. Zach. I think you've got a few stories to tell about your truck, right? Yeah, I do. I am hyped to talk about this, so I'd love to go first. <laughs> I right. cannot tell that sarcasm, but either way, it sounds good. Uh, it's not. I'm I'm actually very excited. Um, so as of right now, the truck is running and driving. Hey, all right. Oh, fuck. Yeah, yeah, it is actually legitimately exciting, not sarcastically exciting news. Uh, 
it's not completely done yet. It currently does not have AC. Uh, there's a couple little things that I need to put on it still that I right. uh, to be to be fair. It's now October, and I I I get it. Climate change. It's it's going to be hot here and there, but it's October. You probably don't got to worry about AC until what April May. Oh yeah, no, it's like so far down on the priority list. I. Yeah. Don't give a shit that I don't have AC right now. It's been completely <laughs> fine. Totally. I haven't had so. AC in a car in over 10 years. Well, that's because you drive dinosaurs and <laughs> <laughs> they didn't come with AC. So, uh, I can fill in something on that on my end when it's my turn, but there's news in that respect. Oh, all right. All right. Put I'm excited AC to hear this. <laughs> what? I said, are you putting AC in one of these cars? Yo, it's not my turn yet. Okay, okay. I'm, I'm excited now. <laughs> he's just got a window-mounted swamp cooler. He's gonna... <laughs> <laughs> I, I bought 20 pounds of ice. <laughs> <laughs> I'm turning it into a seat, and I'm just going to sit on that from now on. Anyway, no. your, your, your truck's running. Yeah, yeah, running, driving, uh, making a weird noise, but uh, I think there's about a 50-50 chance that's because my uh, shift-down cable is not fully secured. That's one of the small things I need to do, uh, is is find the bracket for that from a junkyard and get that on there. Um, because it's got a little... Oh man, it's hard to explain in words without looking at it, but there's a... You know, the standard shifter lever on the side of the automatic transmission that is actually controlled by the column shifter. And then there's a little lever on top of that that kicks down into like a passing gear. And so if I stomp on the gas, there's a real weird noise. And I was hoping that it wasn't the torque converter not locking up. And I'm still hoping that and assuming right now that it's just that shift down lever not being able to shift the truck down into that passing gear but that's the biggest issue it has right now i just stay out of the throttle and it runs fine so i'll call it a success for now i'm actually pretty familiar with that on chevys but ford transmissions can be a little bit different and that's a more modern ford so i don't know you really want to make sure that's well adjusted on a ford though because it can grenade real quickly yeah absolutely i um I made it make the noise a couple times to uh, try to get an idea of what it sounded like and what it could possibly be. And then other than that, I've been doing my best not to do that so that it does not explode my brand new transmission. Yeah, keep an eye on that. It can go bad quick. But I, I know mostly the AODs and yours is a little bit newer than that, right? Um, yeah, it's basically just a C3 Uh a Ford C3. It's it's a little oh, outdated, but it is... It's not an overdrive transmission. It is an overdrive transmission, but built off of the C3. So not okay. too much different. I, I don't know the Ford transmissions too well, but specifically the AOD era, mm -hmm. um, if the line pressure for that cable is not correct, they will grenade in miles. Yeah, I think that's um, not that the issue. I've definitely driven it more than miles already, and it seems to be doing just fine. So fair enough. No, well, I I'm think that's just... like a drastic case because uh, uh, four uh, Chevy seven hundred R fours are similar, but they're a little bit more resilient if it's out of adjustment. Oh yeah, absolutely. But if you, like, 
Hmm. If you were to not hook up that cable at all, the transmission will not make it for 50 miles. It has certainly gone longer than 50 miles already. So I think I'm in the clear on that. Um, and I do have that cable hooked up. It's just uh, the bracket that holds the cable so that it actually pulls on that lever isn't in. Um, yeah. I'm just okay. going to... I'm just going to assume that it'll be fine. And if it's not, well, I'll burn that bridge when I come to it. (laughs) (laughs) Well put. (laughs) So, yeah, I think that's uh, the biggest update for me. I think we talked already in an earlier one about my transmission installation woes and uh, breaking the brand new transmission that I got. Or did I not talk to you guys about that? Nope. You 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 did. did, But the listeners are going to have to wait for that one. Yeah, <laughs> you guys are gonna have to wait. <laughs> Suck it, nerds! <laughs> You'll get the fun backstory of that in a later episode. Um, I think that's all I have. I did help uh, Bryant with his MR2 project a bit the other night. That was a lot of fun. Never worked on a rear mid-engine car before, so some yeah. slight differences. Yeah, thanks for all your uh, help, man. Um, I'll. Uh... I'll tell the full story here in a minute, but I think it's Connor's turn, right? Well, no, I feel yep. well. Given that, given that you guys were working together, I feel like Brian, you should you should go now. That's a that's a segue right there. I'll go after you. All right, cool, cool. Um, well, yeah. Uh, so I got all my parts for my Toyota uh, from Rock Auto. Uh, it was a bit of a hassle because you know they they do this weird thing. They changed the the like tax law in Colorado for like. Uh, online sales tax and so a lot of vendors are kind of fucked about that um so i had to get it shipped to my work and then it arrived in like four different boxes and i had to go on my day off to go and pick them up and my boss had put it in a weird spot and i had to go hunt it down in the shop so it was a whole (laughs) thing but um got all the parts um got the car you know on jack stands started taking things apart and then um, I asked Zach, Hey, do you have a cherry picker, an engine hoist that I could borrow? And he's like, yeah, sweet. I'll bring it over as soon as I'm done with my truck. <laughs> and, uh, maybe that was a little later than he had, he had hoped for, but it was fine. I wasn't ready for him anyways. Um, and I thought he was just going to drop it off and say, Hey, cool. Good luck. But, uh, he stuck around for, I don't know, three or four hours and helped me, uh, take some stuff off the, off the engine. So we got, uh, most of the bolts that hold the transmission to the engine off. Um, and basically I've got a couple more of those left to go. And then I need to get the cherry picker up and hold the engine up while I undo some of the engine uh, mounts. And um, so the whole engine and transmission has to tilt down towards the uh, driver's side so that the transmission can sort of angle out of the the engine bay because there's a frame rail in the way uh, of it right now just coming off so that's it, it's a bit of a hassle um we were gonna be like uh like take the the um what do you call it exhaust apart so it doesn't like get tweaked and bent uh but that those you know fasteners are pretty well rusted on there so uh i think it's just gonna have to flex a little bit and and be okay but uh yeah i mean we're we're on our way i don't know when i'll have it done um i'm running out of time to work on things but hopefully tomorrow i i'll have some time so um, wait, let, me, let me understand this you have to 
you actually have to pull the whole engine out? Because I thought you were just fucking with the transmission. I mean, it probably would have been easier to just pull the whole engine out. Uh, we talked about that. But um, so, yeah, just to take the transmission out, you have to angle the engine a little bit. So just that's take right, it off yeah. the mounts. That's what I'm confused about. I mean, I, I got taken off mounts a little bit. Um, I guess if, if that's all you're doing, I guess that's not that unusual. But yeah, I mean, like basically there's only a couple inches on either side from like the front pulley of the engine to the frame rail and the, the side of the transmission to the frame rail. There's not a whole lot of space there to get, hmm. get it out okay. that way. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. Pain in the ass, but all right. Yeah. I mean, and I think I said, I did this once about five, six years ago when the transmission exploded the first time. Uh, and it was a pain in the ass, but you know, me and my, uh, my friend got that done. So yeah. Um, oh, and one thing I forgot to say at, about the lemons race last time is my friend Jake, uh, got me a matchbox MR2. So a little toy Aww. car version nice, of nice. my real car. Um, so y'all can't see it right now cause I got the video turned off, but I don't know, maybe I can post a photo on the, uh, on the uh, social and all that. But yeah, thanks, yeah. Jake, if you're listening. Uh, I think that's all I got. All right. Well, uh, then I guess it's, uh, it's up to me then. Um, not too much new. Uh, car is kind of just still in the shop getting various odds and ends uh, fixed up. Um, I'm trying to get a whole lot of shit done very, very quickly. Um, cause I, I'm trying to hit a drift event in like two ish weeks. Um, and it's going to have to pass a pretty strict tech. So if I can make it even, which I'm still not entirely sure I can. Um, but it, it, they're going to do, apparently they check like, they check to make sure your ball joints don't have any play. They check your helmets they check literally everything and i was like oh god this is a bit much but um so i'm having some odds and ends fixed car is having some weird issues uh it may have to go back to the tuner to get a few tweaks we're not sure yet so who knows um but i don't know it's 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 moving along there's progress is being made um I did just spend a lot of money on tires. <laughs> so it's your drift racing, bud. <laughs> well, okay. But like for the longest time, I literally got my tires mostly for free. Um, just picking them out of dealership garbage dumpsters um, at, at night. So I'm trying to move up to like drifting on new tires because theoretically they're supposed to last a lot longer. Um, and I happen to have a pair of new tires that I drifted on and I did do like two events with them at least. And they still look really good. So they hold up if you don't, you know, if you don't hot lap and like just keep going over and over and over again. Like if you let your tires cool a little bit, they they do last. So I'm hoping I'm hoping that getting these new uh, tires, especially specifically like ones made for drifting will Hopefully lasts a little bit longer. So I don't know. I'm trying out uh, uh, Valino tires 
which someone at the tuner kind of turned me on to. So I was looking into them and they've got like, um, which I, I usually don't pay attention to like, you know, the treadwear number. Cause normally it's like, I don't know. Is it a good tire or not a good tire? Who cares? Like, but, um, they, they've got, um, they've got a 360 treadwear, which is, as far as I understand, that's pretty insane. <laughs> So as hope- far as low or high, I'm not really sure. So the higher the number in theory, that's like how long it would last. So like they, they test it to like a standard of like 100 is like the standard of this is what, you know, the standard testing tire they use is rated at 100. So a 200 treadwear tire would last roughly twice as long or wear at like half the rate um, at least for the first 7,500 miles, because that's how long the test is. Um, and a 360 treadwear tire is basically a tire that's not going to wear, like, at all. Um, Sick. <laughs> we're going to try it out. We'll see how it works. But Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I've seen some, like, economy tires with, like, five or 600 treadwear. And those are basically, like... I don't know, made of granite, you know, they're not going to wear at all. <laughs> You're not going to have any traction, but they're going to last for a million miles. Yeah. So, um, I actually, I got like, so I, I got like some 200 treadwear, um, to wear, to like put on the rear tires that like I'm actually driving on most of the time, which I could still drift them if I want, but like those will go on my like actually halfway decent wheels. Uh, and then I got another pair for some of my drift spares. Um, so that'll be like the higher treadwear um, tire. We'll try that out. So, so I'm, I'm curious what a set of those runs. So uh, the shipping was fucking more than I wanted it to be. So we'll see. These tires had better last a long time. <laughs> but um, so the other thing that like I um, one of the things that I liked about this particular tire brand is like I've been looking for Kenda tires but like they come out with dog shit sizes. I'm like, I'm not running. They have like arranged. It'll be like, oh, we have a 225 40 and we have a 295 uh, 35, 30 in a 19 inch wheel. And you're, I'm like, well, I'm not one of those two sizes. And it's like, well, I guess you're not driving on a Kenda. It's like, have you considered going and fucking yourself? (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I was, I'm, I've been pretty disappointed. I don't know if that might have something to do with like supply chain issues. Uh, maybe, but like I've been searching around and they have sizes that are not good. Um, so Valino, I mean, they didn't have like a huge range of sizes, but they had like, um, they had two sixty fives, which I could use for my street car and then they had some 255s which i can put on my drift spares which is like just the slightest bit wider than you know the 245s that are usually easier to find um so that 255 hopefully will give me just that little bit of extra grip um so i was pretty happy with that um the 360 treadwear ones which is like the kind of cheaper one um was like 142 attire i think for 18s um which isn't like cheap but again i'm hoping if it lasts through a couple events that's kind of decent in Um, the politest way possible go fuck yourself (laughs) 
Dude, tires for the rims that I'm running on the drag van, I think a pair of tires for the rear is like seven or eight hundred dollars. What? Damn. What? Yeah. Is that slicks or what? Yeah, it's it's well, like there is actually some engineering in in drag tires because they have a really soft sidewall, um, so that when you first launch, when they, they crumple, it's actually creating more contact area. And then once the RPMs get up and the tires are spinning, centrifugal force like forces it outward and you have a lower contact area. Um, but then it's just right. a lot of tire and it's like sort of a supply and demand thing. They're not like eight, 10 inch wide drag slicks aren't just flying off the shelves. It's a specialty item. So you're going to pay three or $400 a pop for them. Yeah, that's true. How many passes mm-hmm. do you get out of tires like that? Um, I mean, will that last I, you a season at least? Maybe I two? I don't really know, actually. I imagine it would depend on your car. Like, I think, like, if I had to, like, guess, I would say probably you could get a season out of them if you're not competing heavily. Yeah. I mean, I would hope, because, I mean, that's a lot of money. I mean, yeah, I mean like, drag racing's expensive. So, one of the things that you can do, and that's what I have done, is find. Like a lot of people will make a few passes and then get fresh tires. So you can usually find used drag tires pretty cheap. Hmm. And I'm not afraid of doing that. So, yeah, like, well, that's true. I've got a set of of drag slicks for the van and a set of uh, like technically street. Like they're not cheater slicks. They've got tread, but they're still more meant for racing. Um, Yeah. and, And I paid about. 150 bucks for the drag slicks probably roundabout and like 200 for the mickey thompson uh street tires that's pretty good yeah i mean yeah if i bought either set of them new i think the mickey thompson's were like six or seven hundred for a pair and yeah the drag slicks which are are also mickey thompson's actually uh those i think are seven or eight hundred for the pair yeah i'm into drifting because i i just don't have drag racing money (laughs) (laughs) that's <laughs> too s too much like I, I i could drag race don't get me wrong but like yeah going God. in a straight line is moderately easy yeah it's just there's a lot a lot of money involved i'm just worried because i'm like you know if these tires if they last me like if i get a few laps out of these tires i'm gonna be really pissed um because like old used dealership tires have worked for for a long time the problem with them is that like you I have to keep paying to like have them mounted and dismounted and all that. And then they only last X amount of time. And it's usually not that long. Um, it, depending on the track, some tracks I can, a, a pair of used tires will last me all day. Uh, and then some tracks, a pair of used tires will be gone in five or six laps. Um, so it all depends, but I'm hoping, I mean, if I can drift all day on a pair of tires, that's, that's a pretty good pair of tires because um, that is a lot of abuse, but I don't know. We're trying it out, so we'll see. Um, but I did, I had, so I've had to buy six tires in the last few days. Um, I needed two fresh ones for the fronts, uh, two for like my regular street wheels. And then I needed at least another two for uh, some drift spares. So that way I'll have, I think I'll have at least four that i can like just burn at the track i might have i think that i might even have a couple more so i've got either four or six tires to burn up at the track but yeah spent a spent some money on it i have the money it's just you know 
you see the you see what it charges you at checkout and you're just like oh man this is, damn this this is a stupid thing that i do yeah <laughs> <laughs> it just feels dumb and then it was like for four of those tires the shipping was like 90 bucks i was like oh <laughs> they're they're not cheap anymore. <laughs> Shipping always kills it, man. Dude, it, it doesn't matter so... how much it is. You're just like, okay, I can afford this, and then they're like, eleven dollars for shipping. Get the fuck out of here. You, like, I, 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 I get why everyone loves Rock Auto. That's why I never order from Rock Auto. A lot of stuff that I try and buy from there, by the time you factor in shipping, it's it's just as easy for me to pick it up locally. Yeah, you know, I tried. Maybe I should have done that for some of it. I'm gonna you be know, honest. Whatever. I have tried Rock Auto for one thing, um, and it it didn't it did not go well. It I got some valve covers from Rock Auto, and they leaked immediately. Now, if I had looked in forums before I bought them, uh, I would have seen people say that, "Hey, don't get these; they leak as soon as you put them on." But I didn't do that, so they leaked as soon as they were put on. Uh, so I had to get the expensive OEM valve covers, and those do not leak. But well, that sounds like your fault, not Rock Auto's. That yeah. sounds like Rock Auto's fault to me. I think yeah. you're crazy. That sounds like Rock Auto's goddamn fault. <laughs> I mean, I think I talked about this in another episode, but you know, don't get the cheapest. Uh, coolant temp sensor for your miata that rock auto has because it'll last about three months yeah you should get the second which you know I, I i'm not like i would be against rock auto forever on one part because that's apparently for the 350z the only valve covers that work are the oem ones that's it um so you know i can't blame them too much i guess although how hard is it to put a fucking gasket on there anyway I would try Rock Auto again, but, you know, that last yeah, for time me, didn't. It's, oh, for, for me, it's usually like, oh, this sensor is $10 cheaper than I can pick it up anywhere else. Oh, this sensor is $10 to ship. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I will say I, uh, I've i been running a remanufactured power steering rack in my Subaru from Rock Auto for like two and a half years now. And it has been excellent the entire actually... time. I really like anything remanufactured is usually pretty solid because like it is essentially the OEM quality shit. Yeah. Um, just refurbished. I love remanufactured whenever you can get it. That's the way to go. Absolutely. And it was way cheaper than anything else I could find. Like half the price yeah. or less. I've had mixed luck with remand uh, starters or alternators. Usually oh, really? good. But I have had bad ones. Yeah, I don't think I've ever had a bad one, actually. I mean, whatever. I, you know, there's the uh, there's the little shop. You know, it's 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 a little ways away from me now because I moved. But uh, place I've gone to for a number of years, and they always had everything for everything was like always under a hundred bucks or so, and everything always held up. Alternator starter, whatever. But yeah, I don't know. So, got all that, and then what was the other thing? Uh, oh, speaking of steering racks, I might need one. <laughs> we'll see. Um, right now, the steering feels really tight, and it has for a while. And I was hoping it was going to be this um, this 
uh, steering column bushing that's like in between where it like makes that bend. There's like a little bushing in there that was like um, it was like a little uh, U-joint and it was like terrible. I mean, it was like you could hardly move it with your hand. Um, so I was like, so we replaced that with and then put the engine back in and I was driving it and I was like, this is a little bit tight. I, I haven't drifted it yet cause I'm still on my winter tires cause the car went in the shop that long ago and, uh, those are too expensive to drift on at all. So I'm not going to try, but it does feel like the, the steering doesn't like just return when I let go of the wheel, which is not great. Um, because when you're drifting, the the fastest easiest thing to do is to like let go of the wheel when you change direction and the wheel will just kind of turn turn by itself and the whole rack will you know switch over um while you're drifting uh so you, you know generally speaking i'm not touching the steering wheel very much when i'm drifting at all it's very minute um you know ch- changes here and there but if the steering rack is going to be all stiff i can still drift with it it's just you know, I kind of have to force it a little bit. And um, when you're trying to go sideways, I don't want to be forcing it too much. Well, so. here's what you do is get some some springs that go from the tie rod ends to the frame of the car. Mm-hmm. So you got some return springs on your steering. There you go. I could use bungee cords. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that'll work well. Um, so who knows? I may... Uh, I may need a steering rack. And I just, I told my guy, I was like, look, trying to get this ready for a drift event. I'm like, if that steering feels stiff and you think it's the rack, replace the rack. Just do it. I don't care. Um, So we'll see. I may get a new rack. I may not. But that's the end of my updates and tangents and all that. Oh, that means it's my turn. You know. Oh, are you about to say something, Brian? Uh, I was gonna say uh, I the spe- speaking of tires I I probably need to check the tires on my MR2 but last time I checked I couldn't get replacements in the in 14 inch uh, wheels Oof, yeah. um, so I might whenever those wear out I might need to either try and find another 14 inch tire or um, get a bigger wheel which I mean it would get probably a wheel. Yeah, it would probably make a lot more sense to get a bigger wheel, but I really do like the Toyota MR2 triangle-shaped weird alloy wheels. Like, there's nothing good about them. Like, they're heavy, and (laughs) they're not very... They're probably not very strong, and, you know, there's nothing that fits on them, but they look cool, so... You know, but if you try... If you sell those on, like, Marketplace or something shit, there might be someone who's trying to get, like keep everything totally stock and they're willing to spend all their time trying to find the right tires. Yeah. I'd be able to make some money on it for shit wheels. That's not a bad deal. I mean, I kind of just want to polish them and put them on my wall as artwork, you know, maybe that would make more sense. Yeah. It's probably better. I, I upgraded, uh, one of my early vans from 14 to 15 inch rims and finding tires for the 14 inch rims were so expensive that when I found a cheap set of 15s to fit on it, it was cheaper for me to buy a cheap those that cheap set of rims and a new pe- set of tires than it was for me to buy another set of tires for the 14s. Yeah. Yikes. I mean, last time I did buy the 14-inch tires, it was like 75 bucks each, so it wasn't that much 
Whoa, that's that's a steal. Yeah, I mean what that was now? good question. <laughs> Might be uh, last time it. I bought a set of fourteen inch tires. I mean, granted, the the rears on my van were pretty wide, but it was uh, like six hundred dollars and change. Yeesh. Oh, okay. Well, now it's telling me that they're around ninety seven. And up, depending on the size. You should buy those like right now while we're still recording. I'm you know, just go on your spiel. <laughs> we'll keep Brandon will uh, stall a little bit. Buy those now before they like go away or they're not in stock or some shit. Because I keep finding that too. Like I'll find the size I want. And I'm like, okay, I'm gonna leave this window open for a while and I'll buy them in a few days. And then I go back in a few days and that size isn't available anymore. And I'm like, well, fuck. I mean, <laughs> I still need the tires. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean that's that's for a 16 inch. Uh, I don't, I'm not seeing them for 14 inch, but I'll keep looking. Okay, my, is it my go now? Yeah, sorry to interrupt you there. Uh, it was very rude, but I'll forgive you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, okay, so this isn't important, but since we mentioned it, I, like when I bought my Cutlass, the dude gave me like crates and crates of like parts, and a lot of it was just like old junk that had come off the car or that people that, that have owned the car had collected and all, but there was an air conditioning system that came with it, but I didn't pay too much attention to it because my car was not a factory AC car. So I didn't want to have to figure out like all of the vents and like, like plumbing in like all of that stuff. But what I, I, I should have gone through everything more cause I was moving some stuff around and once I started digging through the, the crates that had all the air conditioning stuff, I realized that there's actually like like one of the aftermarket air conditioning systems that has a box that mounts under the dash and has all the vents and everything already. So I've got the brackets, the condenser, the compressor, and like the actual uh, control box with vents and all. So Whoa. whenever I feel very motivated, I <laughs> could actually put air conditioning in the Cutlass now. Nice. Wow. Oh, do yeah. it. Do it. Probably welcome won't. To the, welcome to the luxury of the early 80s. <laughs> <laughs> Air conditioning was an option on my 67, just not an option that this previous owner chose to pick. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. It, it seems like a lot of work, and I don't really mind the heat. And, you know, do I really want to sacrifice that, like, 10 horsepower? I don't think it costs ten horsepower. I think, on. yeah. <laughs> I was also I was also kidding. Like this motor I'm putting together makes dog shit horsepower, but it's gonna be a lot of fucking torque. So, it, I mean, I would believe that the AC on my MR2 takes ten horsepower. It really slows it down. Really? God damn. Oh yeah. I drift with this... I drift with the AC on. <laughs> I go all the way, you know, all the way to Redline. I don't notice. Uh, I'll tell you, man. At the track, I see, I see people in those old two forties that are all like, you know, just a steel fucking oven, no AC, and I see those people. They're fucking dying, and I'm I'm sitting in comfort in grid, waiting to go, and I'm like, I'm very comfortable. Ugh. Yeah, I'm 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 a I'm a diva about AC. Give me that give me that shit in every car. Whatever it takes, I'll compensate with more mods if if it's too slow. I will always keep the AC though. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's something I, I do need to fix on my Subaru is is the AC. 
Yeah, I, I've I've just never owned anything with AC since I was like twenty, so I just don't really think about it that much. Yeah, I mean, look, the minute you put it in, you might come to like it, and you'll you'll never want to go back. So there's that, but it is pretty great. Just saying. Well, either way, like I I, I can make the decision later because I'll have to like cut the brackets up and and fabricate new ones or whatever because they, they're small block brackets. Um, hmm. I could make them fit on the big block because Oldsmobile small block and big block are only different in a few ways, and one of them is deck height. So all I would have to do is is cut the brackets in certain points and stretch them out. But uh, either way, uh, I started putting the heads back together for my motor yesterday. Nice. Ooh. Yeah, getting all the... the well, I decided to just be safe and uh, lap the valves back in. So I got all of the valves lapped in. Um, I've got the springs and uh, everything on the one side. I ran out of time yesterday. But uh, I'm thinking I might even go to the shop after recording, depending on... Uh, I'm, I might start helping a, f- a friend of mine with some construction projects this week, but if I'm not doing that tomorrow, I might just head to the shop tonight and finish getting the heads put together. Because once the heads are put together, then I just plop the intake back down, and um, I, I got like some more like small things to do. But uh, I I don't see any reason that if if I don't hit a real hard depression in the next three days, that I won't have the motor buttoned up by like Wednesday or Thursday. Cool. Nice. That being right. said, I've been very open about my mental instability. So the possibility of me hitting a severe depression in the next three days, pretty high. But barring that, yeah, I, th- I think I think I'll probably start uh, tinkering with the transmission here this week, getting the shift kit in that. And then it's just a matter of pulling the car into the garage and starting to do the work. Sweet. Hey, not too bad. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm still going to have to have a drive shaft made because I've, I've pretty much decided to go with the transmission that I have now it's a turbo 400 it, it won't give me the overdrive that I want but it's you can build those transmissions to handle up to like for, like I think a stock case can handle up to like 1200 horsepower or something like that um which is nothing like what I'm trying to make I'm just you know arguing that they're very strong even in a stock form so it can handle what I've done to this big block no problem without any serious modifications oh yeah and I just have to to move the cross member a couple of inches and have a drive shaft made or have mine shortened. Yeah. Sweet. Or, uh, I don't know. Can you get a, one of those carbon fiber drive shafts that Connor was talking about? Oh, I, I absolutely could. It would cost as much as I've spent on the rest of this. <laughs> swap. Are they yeah. Like, yeah. If they're, yeah, that sucks. If it's they're really custom. cool though. <laughs> Um, it's an, an aluminum drive shaft or even a carbon fiber one is something I've considered for something more race oriented. Like I thought about doing it for the drag van, except that the drag van is, is going to have a drive shaft that like the actual shaft itself, not counting, uh, like all the, the, the ends of it. I'm, I'm losing my words right now, but, uh, yeah, not counting like, uh, that my drive shaft's going to be like two inches long. <laughs> yeah so i don't think i'm really losing that much if i uh use steel instead of aluminum or carbon fair enough yeah hey man, once you yeah, put I AC go carbon fiber. 
What's that? Once you, a- Once you put AC on that van, you're going to need every little ounce you can get to make up for it. <laughs> <laughs> that that van will never have air conditioning. <laughs> okay, so it was a very rare... Like I've never seen one of the early Chevy vans that had the factory air conditioning, but it was an option. And it wasn't even in the dash. It was like, a, as, as I have read about it, it, again, I've never seen one, but I've read about them. And it was like an overhead unit that vented out of the roof. Huh, like, okay. I have no idea how they work or anything. I, I don't know. I've never seen one. So if I come that's across weird. that, I'll let you know. But, that's weird. Yeah. Yeah. But that's uh, that, that's me. I, uh, I've been tinkering with some bikes a little bit. Like, I've started wrenching on my chopper a little bit more now that I've got, like, a solid idea of how I want to build it and what I want to do. But, um, yeah, my big block's are about ready to come together. Just got to clean it up and start bolting things together. Good shit. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah. I, uh, I, a part of me is looking forward to it, and another part of me is like, you know, once you finish the engine, you still have to put it in. And then I'm like, well, I can take my time. <laughs> Sounds like a lot of work. Uh, Brandon, while, uh, while, we're, while we're on you and, and, you know, project car updates and whatnot, um, do you know anything about what's going on with IATSE and and all that good stuff? Um, I mean, yes, but the, it's not really anything extravagant. Like, I hear a lot of people making claims about how we're on strike or going on strike or we voted to go on strike. That is not true. Um, oh, okay. We have we we passed the strike authorization vote by. I've read different numbers, but by the lowest number I've seen, it was over 95% yes. Yeah. Um, so what that means is that now we are authorized to declare a strike if negotiations continue to go poorly. Okay. Yeah, that's what I um, thought it meant. Yeah. I've um, seen a lot of people where it's they're almost treating it like it is a strike, and it's like, no, 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 this is that strike authorization, which is in the back pocket during negotiations it's an important vote um but it's not an actual strike as of yet it is uh, it is saying that we are we are putting this tool in the toolbox if we need it um i I get frustrated with people because i'm like if you if you're gonna talk about it know what you're talking about but people who want to talk about it very casually and don't understand that voting to go on strike and voter voting to authorize a strike are two different things. Um, it's hard to fault them because it is a confusing distinction. Yeah, I, I, I hate to I hate to say it, but like one thing, I don't know if this is unions got to get better at this or whatever, but I'm like, yo, I'm a leftist and I do not know enough about how unions work. And I yeah, that's sort of my fault. But like, mm, a lot of people don't know how to how unions fucking work at all. So what yeah, if well, I'm, techni- you- I'm technically not in our union yet because you have to work a certain amount of days and I was almost there, but now the looming strike has gotten my shit all fucked up, so they had to cancel some shifts because everybody's behind on everything. Yeah. So okay. I will if we do go on strike, I will not technically be in the union when it happens. I will still be on the fucking picket line and I will still be beating the dog shit out of scabs if that happens, but I will technically not be in the union. Gotcha. Man, that sucks. Dude, fuck it. In my heart, I'm in a union. Yeah. No, I mean, that's, that's something too. Um, now if is like, is there a separate vote to go on strike versus like authorize a strike? Like if, if everyone votes to authorize a strike, 
negotiations go poorly, can they just be like, all right, we're on strike now? Or is that a separate vote? I think it's a separate vote. Okay. Um, but most people, for everything I've heard from anyone up and down the ranks, is that once you vote to authorize a strike, the likelihood of actually going on strike is still very low. Yeah. Because right now we have a distinct advantage because coming out of like 2020 when COVID restrictions really hindered a lot of productions, um, now, now everything's behind and they're trying to play catch up. So if we all go on strike, uh, yeah. that just makes everything even further behind. But there is a big thing that a lot of those people are not considering that is worth considering. And that's that one of the production, like one of the companies that we are, are dealing with is Amazon. Ooh, because yeah. we are making content for Amazon Prime. And a lot of people are like, oh, they don't want to lose all of the money that they'll lose if we go on strike. And I'm like, you need to understand that Amazon will lose money if it means crushing worker movements because it will save them money in the long run. And they're, they're smart enough to know that. Right. So, yeah. like, do not approach this with kid gloves because maybe Amazon will bend over and, and do. But they're, one of the things that led us up to this point, as I've been told by some people, is that when it came time to negotiate contracts, we came, Amazon had gotten a very friendly contract because it was covered by something that, that we were calling new media being a streaming yeah. service. So they got a beneficial deal for their early productions. But now the argument is that it, it is no longer new media. Streaming services are at this point very well established. Yeah. So we wanted to not only end their kind of sweetheart deal and get more, their counter offer is less than the deal that we already had. Yeah. Wow. So if, if anybody is like, anybody that's saying like they won't let us go on strike, it's like, well, they basically pushed us to the point where it was an option. So don't be surprised if they keep pushing. Because we would be the only thing covered under any purview of Amazon that would be unionized. Well, the other thing is, I, I, I'm, I don't know if people really understand Amazon is trying to get into every facet of life, right? That's their goal. But yep. that's not a requirement. Like, they're not making any real money off their streaming service, I don't think. In fact... Of all the streaming services, Amazon's kind of sucks. It's a perk that is to convince people, hey, shop with us. You have Prime. Here's some shows and stuff. And we can like show you ads and shit or you can rent movies from us. Like it's just a this is um, Amazon Prime's like video. Their streaming service is a lot like some, you know, um, it, it's what all those, you know, nonsense get rich quick idiots are talking about oh this is passive income you want to have multiple streams of revenue and you want to you know have your money work for you that's what this is to amazon they don't give no, a Am fuck. amazon's business model is actually a lot more sinister than that oh um, god damn <laughs> <laughs> uh, so amazon okay i cannot speak within the last two years because it's been about that long since i looked into it but if you look at Amazon's profit margins, like Am Amazon Books, which is now expanded to like Amazon literally buy everything in the fucking world that you can. Yeah. Um, it didn't turn a profit for 
pretty much it, the entire duration of its existence. Yeah. It operated in the red, like maybe not at a loss, but like pretty much breaking even. Oh no, it's yeah, it's a growth it's a gro- it's that like growth model where it's like grow through acquisition and just beat the shit out of everybody because you're not turning a profit and they have to turn a profit, but you're still able to operate on razor thin margins. Well, okay, but the reason they can do that is because they don't make their money selling things. Amazon's actual money is from Amazon Web Services, which right. hosts most of the fucking internet. And hmm. a lot of the military. Yeah. Like, oh. Amazon makes their money from Amazon Web Services. So, because they were able to always be profitable due to Amazon Web Services, they were able to have Amazon as we know it, like, the you know, website to buy everything in the world. Um, they actively were aware that their only real goal was to gain as much market share as possible. So they were basically an aspiring monopoly of everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're still, they're still definitely making money on this stuff because like they put in the effort, right? And that effort is going to have some return. It's like they're putting in efforts to like, take to steal people's little like oh they make you know whatever little knickknacks and amazon finds a way to re-engineer that stuff and sell their knickknacks as a competitor like they're putting effort into that because it is making money for them it's also making them a monopoly at the same time but like i think it's a little bit a little column a column b kind of deal you know so it's basically the most sinister it could possibly be yeah, they have enough money to, you know, run at a loss and crush the competition in just about any online sales thing that you can think of. Yeah, so so uh, they're they're trying to pull that same shit with the film yeah. industry right now, um, which doesn't work exactly like that because when they want to make a TV show, they don't own the pr- like they might own the production company, but the production company still has to hire. Uh, electricians and set builders and design like all these things that are union right um and they can't really get around that like if even if we go on strike like it it would be intense and there is almost no room for scabs because you know you would have to find people who know how to do all of those things but are not in the union or are in the union and willing to scab and thus uh, make sure that they never work again after the strike and camera operators are in a different union than IATSE and would ne- will never cross a picket line. So you would also have to have, have scab uh, camera operators and teamsters uh, run all of our trucks that we use o- on a daily basis. Constantly teamsters will never cross a picket line. And I don't really know what they're like nowadays, but everybody fucking knows the teamster reputation, like cross a picket line, be found in a dumpster. Yeah. Yeah. And I think they were, they're actually um, trying to organize uh, some Amazon workers like the Amazon truck drivers right now. So, I mean, yeah, you don't fuck around with the teamsters. I mean, I feel like that's that we need more of those types of unions. Well, yes and no, because I, I mean, historically, teamsters were pretty corrupt, too. Mm, yeah, but yeah fuck it i'll take a corrupt union that gets me paid and fucks the boss over before i'll take no union at all yeah you know i think one of these days we're gonna have to have like a just a heavy union discussion episode um probably after the stuff just because I'm, I'm curious as to what 
what people might take away from that kind of that I've sort often, of study. Not to brainstorm too openly on air, but I've often and if any if any listeners have any feedback on this, I, I've I've wondered the extent to which we're maybe we should expand to cover more like general like workers sort of uh, uh, stories because I, I think it's pretty safe to say that the, the like the Venn diagram of car guys or you know car people car persons whatever and working class is a fucking circle like yeah yeah usually with with exceptions but the exceptions are usually like high-end race teams and stuff or yeah. dudes who are car guys in so much as they spent 1.2 million dollars on a, a hypercar that they don't know anything about yeah right like they're not car guys they're guys who could afford fancy cars yeah pretty um, much so yeah i, I don't know because like i how many fucking places are on strike right now that it's worth mentioning? Like uh, Frito Lay and Nabisco, they're off strike now. I think who's the big one that's back on strike Kellogg's. right now? Yeah, Kellogg's, right? So, like, you know, sh- shout out to all striking workers, man. We're behind you. Yeah, solidarity. Yep, definitely. Oh, right. and uh, we're not really doing a news episode today, but since I'm done talking about my projects, pretty well, I'll. I'll mention that uh, Lordstown's back in the news this week. <laughs> yeah, should be good. <laughs> oh yeah, it's, uh, and, and they're they're doing great, right? <laughs> well, you know they they did announce that they were going to be in full production by September earlier this year, and uh, true to their word, here we are in, are in October, and they just sold their manufacturing facility. <laughs> <laughs> uh, which might like again, like as as much as. I love shit talking like it, this could go any sort of way, but it, it does prove what everyone already knew, which is that Lordstown were basically incompetent when it came to manufacturing. They may could very well design a perfectly adequate truck, but actually putting it into production never looked too, too friendly. So now they've sold their facility and are trying to negotiate having someone else manufacture the, the trucks that they have designed. That's that's a pretty rudimentary explanation of what they're doing because that's my very rudimentary exp- uh, understanding of of what's going on. But uh, more will be revealed to us in the future. But uh, Foxconn, the Taiwanese company known for making iPhones and tech like that, are now uh, being in, in negotiations to do the manufacturing for Lordstown at, at was, the Lordstown facility. At the end of the day, what is uh, a fully electric truck, but an iPhone with wheels. <laughs> I, mean, I think you're being sarcastic, but I don't even know if I disagree with you. Yeah, I mean, a, right. a little column A, little column B. It's <laughs> basically just a rolling iPhone. So, well, yeah, maybe they have a, maybe they'll be great at it. Well, have you seen uh, where more and more people are coming out saying that the reason that there are so many chip shortages in the automotive industry is not actually because of any sort of. Uh, like supply chain issue, but rather automotive companies are using such outdated technology that a lot of manufacturing plants overseas are not wanting, like they're upgrading and trying to remain on the cutting edge of doing like the newest technology. And a lot of them are getting to the point where it's like, no, we're not going to tool up to make 20 year old chips for your truck. Yeah. I have not heard that, but interesting. 
I do know that like automotive stuff tends to use like a little bit older and more proven technology. No, no, no. Brian, Brian, you must be mistaken. Um, <laughs> capitalism causes more innovation. Oh, right. Yeah. Sorry, I forgot so about it, that. I must be wrong. It incentivizes innovation and socialism stops that. So you can't possibly think that these huge industries are using old technology. That can't be because I've been told that the only way to be successful is, in fact, to, to innovate and to stay ahead of the, the curve. Right. Yeah. So, but what you're not what you're not hearing is that socialist China is just trying to drag us down. Well, yeah, of course. By using more modern technology than we are. Oh, see, OK. Yeah, that's right. Hold on. I did hear about that. China's got this like this whole plan, right, to like stop capitalism by using better technology and you know improving their economy faster than ours and that's just socialist bullshit that's it's all designed to stop uh america which is super great um it's a complex plan because communists are evil and yeah but capitalism will win i'm 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 pretty sure listen not all communists are evil just me (laughs) (laughs) And everyone knows every time that socialism is better than capitalism, that's just a socialist plot to destroy capitalism, <laughs> which <laughs> makes perfect like sense. You, I like every everything you say today sounds sarcastic, but that actually is the plan. That's a solid plan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you say that like it's bad things, Zach. <laughs> I use I use sarcasm to tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> Man, you you seem like the most impossible person to argue with. <laughs> I am. Ask anyone that knows me in real life. I am. Fair I'm enough. extremely frustrating <laughs> to most people. Me too, but for just different reasons. <laughs> Why am I arguing with you? You've been on mushrooms for weeks. <laughs> hey, people say that to me all the time. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I mean, seriously, the the context I heard it in was like um, with Tesla, like with their um, all their like infotainment stuff is more like uh, commercial grade electronics that, you know, like what you'd have for your your iPad or whatever. Um, whereas like the the like touchscreen in a Ford or a Chevy or a Honda or whatever is going to be more rugged and is you know designed to uh exist in like higher and lower temperatures and still actually work in a car that's like vibrating and you know 100 degrees or whatever yeah so so my understanding of it was that like yeah you want something more robust it's it's literally the difference like between a a light duty medium duty and heavy duty equipment like yeah exactly they might be less comfortable but they're gonna last five hundred thousand miles longer so you don't necessarily want to go with cutting-edge technology on something like this, but you that doesn't necessarily mean that you stick with the pinnacle of technology from 1995 either. Right. Um, especially in this context where, like, maybe a lot of the tooling to manufacture that stuff is getting outdated and needs repaired or replaced, and nobody wants to replace it with outdated technology that's new. Yeah. I mean, I think with like aerospace stuff, it's even more pronounced. It, like they're using, you know, ruggedized uh, chips that were like last designed in the 80s or something. You know, it's they don't they're not really looking for the most powerful computers for 
spaceships or airplanes, they're looking for something that's going to work all the time. Well, unless you're Boeing, I guess. But that's another story. <laughs> Woo! Yeah, I mean, the, the more critical something is, the more you want to make sure that it's sturdy enough to handle what it's it's doing. That That's actually kind of why I think the endurance is a little weird. Um, I'm not shitting on Lord's Town, but a lot of the stuff that I've read about their design, like, I see where maybe it handles well and performs well and blah, blah, blah. But, like, if it's a fleet truck, it's also got to last more than 25,000 miles, too. So. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. Bye. I, I don't know why I'm so fascinated by this company, but I am. So you're going to keep getting all the dumb little updates from me. Yeah. No, it's pretty fascinating. I know. I mean, what's it? Trash Future Podcast has been talking about them off and on for a while. Well, also specifically, I'm fascinated by it because we were making dies for them at my old job. But right. now that I'm not there anymore. I feel like I should give up, but I, <laughs> I don't. I've, I've developed my nemesis. So here we are. Yeah. Oh, fuck. Can I uh, add an update that I forgot about? <laughs> uh, sure, no. Go for it. I'm going to. So okay. can't stop me. Uh, I put in my two weeks notice at my job. Oh, shit. That's Yay. right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I forgot Welcome. all about it. Um, yeah. Hate, hated that job. It was very boring. I did not like it. It fucking blowed. So put in my notice and I'm starting in a totally different industry, which thank God. Um so that's going to be coming soon. But the nice thing is I start like November 15th and I'm done working at this job like the 20th or 21st or something. So I got myself a nice little break in between there. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Nice. Which is going to start potential. Like I'm going out of town to um, up to my dad's place uh, where I'm going to be hanging out with a cousin who's in from out of the country. Um, and I may start go to this drift event that weekend too because technically my dad's place is closer to it but we'll see um so i may or may not go to that but that is a hell of a way to kick it off so i'm gonna be off for like three weeks or something um which i've never had that opportunity ever and i'm very excited for it so yeah very happy to be moving on also have to work on doing background check stuff after we're done recording which i'm not looking (laughs) forward to that part but uh, I'm also vaguely nervous because I'm like, oh, I gotta, I gotta provide some some documentation for jobs that were like semi not legit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, they were legal, but you know, it's like, ooh, that was kind of a yeah, a little, little bit different. So anyway, I got to do some background check stuff, which makes me a little bit nervous because I did already put my notice in, but uh, yeah, pretty sure it's all good. Got a new job, got a nice break, put my week, my notice in at the shitty job. So, yeah, pretty big update that I totally forgot about. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. Congrats. Thank you. Yeah, that is cool. I uh, I guess you probably don't want to use this podcast as uh, on your resume. No, no, I definitely do not. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, if you wanted to, we could make up a business and we could be your references Oh man, that seems that's tempting. That is kind of tempting. I think someone I, on Street Fight was talking about doing that. That that's oh, the classic that. move. Is, is they literally did do that? There was a there was a part in like the Facebook group or something where like people yeah. were using each other as, hey, good for them. That's a that is what community is for. Yeah. Oh, All the right. other 
Yep. Sorry. Um, that's yeah. That's the update I forgot about. So. No, that's cool. Um, should we take a quick break here and then get on to the the main, yes. the main subject? Yeah, I um I need to go in like five minutes anyway, so uh I think I'll probably just head out if we're gonna take a break. Unfortunately, won't be able to be on for the actual episode. Oh, well, this, thanks for being this, on for this part. At this point, it this is well into the actual episode yeah <laughs> i guess just not the you know educational part eh, just the shooting the shit part yeah that's half the reason i talk about how i don't really give a shit if anyone listens to the podcast is that i just enjoy bullshitting with you guys for a couple hours every week or two so it's like if people listen cool if they don't i'm still getting everything i need to out of this yeah, yeah. absolutely i'm not doing this like for fame and success this is what i enjoy is chat shit so yeah yeah i'm with it well Sweet. we'll catch you later then zach right on uh, yeah good to talk to you nope. yeah, you guys have, fun with, have, a... have fun trucking yeah enjoy that thanks. truck thanks guys <laughs> i will i hope that it does not spontaneously explode now Brandon got me a little nervous about it. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Like what I was talking about. Worst case scenario, you just fry your clutch plates. Okay, that's not that big of a deal. I have like three torque converters in my garage right now because I kept buying transmissions and then <laughs> they, no, the clutch like, plates in them. the transmission. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Not that... Like the clutch packs in the torque converter. Uh, I don't know. That is that how torque converters work? I honestly don't know. I, okay. I know shit that's about not, that's, okay. that's not how torque converters work then they're a hydraulic coupler but the way uh an automatic transmission works uh is in a really rudimentary sense there's there's a couple of clutch packs usually there's a clutch pack for the first and second shift and a clutch pack for the third fourth shift mm-hmm. and uh, a lot of times like when a transmission is slipping it's because those clutch packs are frying yeah so and like um, i said i mean the thing cruises like a fucking dream it's just it's literally like if i'm at a dead stop or under like 15 miles an hour and i just punch it it makes a horrible noise huh. and rattles so i don't really know what that is i'm hoping it's just that little like shift down kick down lever thing trying to engage to get me into the low gear but yeah cruising on the highway ripping around it'll it'll do just fine and i can accelerate hard from a a pretty steady roll just fine too so Okay. Hmm. I don't know. It seems pretty minor. I'm gonna Yeah, that that doesn't sound like you're about to grenade your transmission based on what I know. So yeah. and th- this is the first like automatic transmission thing that I've really spent any significant time with. Uh I've been pretty much manual stuff my whole life. Yeah, I wondered that as soon as so. you referenced the clutch packs in a torque converter. Yeah. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I don't know shit about how they work mechanically. Well, I, I, mean, I know there are the uh, lo- the lockup torque converters. I don't think that's what you have. That yeah, that's have. that's just lock- no. He probably does have that because the more modern oh, okay. ones are like that. It's good for fuel economy because uh, the the torque converter being a, a hydraulic coupler still slips even at cruising speed. Mm-hmm. So what the all the lockup does is it makes it so that uh, the torque converter is. I, I don't know the actual mechanism through which it works, but it makes it so that the torque converter no longer slips yeah, and yeah, improve your fuel economy because there's less wasted energy. I think it's like an electric clutch, kind of like what's on an AC compressor pulley, you know? So it, um, it 
get to I don't think it actually has it doesn't actually work off of the torque converter I don't think I think it's an electric mechanism inside the transmission itself um, okay. because you can like you can run a lot of all the overdrive transmissions that I have you can run them with or without uh, an electric um, like without, without one of those switches mm -hmm. um, or you can get like a manual switch where you can turn it off and on but okay. you have to be very careful because you'll like stall out the motor if you like forget to turn it off when you're decelerating yeah a lot of them are vacuum operated um there's there's a wide array of ways to like retrofit stuff to like older vehicles but oh actually even some of the not overdrive trend like in the 80s they were putting lock up on like three speeds just to improve hmm. fuel economy just a little bit because i have i have two junkyard transmissions that have a, a provision for an electric uh lockup interesting yeah this transmission is also somewhat peculiar peculiar because it is half uh electronically controlled and half vacuum controlled huh yeah Seven. that i don't know anything about yeah, honestly even people who understand automatic transmissions can still tell you that they're basically magic yeah <laughs> that's how i've understood it i've tried several times to uh look at how they work and and understand it and i at this point i'm like yeah it's black magic i'm fairly it's, certain it's it's accurate <laughs> to say that looking at an automatic transmission and trying to understand it is tantamount to trying to program a computer by looking at a circuit board um, yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's not even like me exaggerating it's literally the way like the valve bodies work and the flute like the line pressure it's all in a way that makes the automatic transmission operate as a hydraulic computer. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, I think that's a pretty fair, uh, analogy, yeah. but it's, it's, I actually it's, found instead of electric signals. It's fluid. Yeah. So I, I actually did find a shop that I think I can trust, which is very out of character for me, but I found an old dude, uh, at a transmission shop who's like super rad and seems like he knows fucking everything to know about him and he's been great so far i've called him like 20 times and bugged the shit out of him just asking him qu questions about stuff and yeah he's been super helpful and uh he's the one that hooked me up with the the transmission repair when it was damaged trying oh, to install sick. it so yeah seems like a good dude i think uh if i can't figure it out i'm just gonna chat with him and see what's up and maybe have him take a look at it but yeah he seems like a fucking wizard so are you really a car guy if you're not hemorrhaging money on your car all the time? <laughs> Absolutely not. No. No. <laughs> I've put more money into this truck than I bought it for, like, by a large margin. So, no, I feel like that's, that's, that's the, um, that's what, that's the goal we're all going for is to, like, have the cool car and not be hemorrhaging money on it all the time. That's like the, that's like the master car person level that we oh, yeah. we definitely have not reached but someone out there <laughs> has reached has figured out how to do it and not be like you know having like addiction level problems well, i actually I realized key, that... i think the key is having a shitload of money to start with so you just yeah. fix all the problems all at once perfectly and then it's great and it's like yeah i can't i'm, I'm gonna uh, be honest that's what that. i'm that's what i'm trying to do with this rebuild and i'm just like I literally like I have money in savings like I I didn't work on this car for like a few years, which means I've been out of the drift scene for a while because I'm like saving money, saving money. 
and I try and do it all at once and take it from me doesn't work super great <laughs> doesn't yeah. you think it's i i thought i had everything figured out i'm like i've got every little piece right put together i was working from home right this is the best time to do it no better conditions were available and uh comes out and the car's like oh it just it dies sometimes when you're driving it's like <laughs> son of a bitch <laughs> And I'm still trying to, I'm like, I've changed the headlights. I'm like, all right, if you got to change the steering rack, you fucking do it. Change the whole exhaust, do everything. And it just still comes out. And I'm like, son of a bitch. Not enough. There's yeah. always something else. There's <laughs> always something else. man. Yeah. Take it from me. You, I, I feel like we've all had the dream of like, what if I just did it all at once? I'm the dream. It's, it's kind of a nightmare. <laughs> I, I, realized, dead. I realized that i coasted past a pretty monumental hallmark without even realizing it in the last couple of years i own everything i want like, i've got oh, shit i've got my drag van my early van that i want a daily i've got a muscle car i've got my my sick chopper that's coming together like so on and so forth they're just all falling apart (laughs) i do i do get why that sounds like a joke but like truth be told it means that like now when i save money it doesn't need to be because what if that dream vehicle comes along it's because i need to have money ready when i want to buy parts for the dream vehicle i already own oh that's true that's very cool that is definitely an awesome place to be Every one of my cars is paid off. They all need a lot of work, but they're paid for. My house, same thing. My house is paid for. I'm about to have to put a part of the roof, uh, get get part of my roof replaced. But, like, I have that luxury because I don't got a fucking mortgage. So, if I can just get, like, one more vehicle in strong running, driving condition, I've got, like, two like bulletproof vehicles that I can rely on one if, if I have a small problem with the other and, and back and forth, work on my projects, get my bikes together, et cetera, et cetera. I feel like I'm in a pretty golden position. Yeah, that's pretty yeah, good. That's pretty solid. I mean, I'm not in as good a financial situation as you are, but both my cars are paid off and uh, it any maintenance that I've had to do lately has been cheaper than a car payment for sure. Oh, yeah. I know. There's two kinds of cars that if I were to come across one at a good price, I would still buy it. And maybe in the future, I'll look for one. But for now, I'm like, nah, there ain't really nothing else I need. Yeah. Yeah, that's sweet. You know, if, I, if I came across a budget Tri-5 Chevy right now, sure. But, you know, absent that, fuck it. I got what I want. Yeah. Oh, yeah. All right, well, on that note, it's probably time for a break that we... Yeah, <laughs> we talked about 10 minutes ago. Yeah, yeah how you can well, cut all that out because it's just me bragging about how easy my life is. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that. We'll figure that out. But uh... what I laugh, what, what I what I, I succeed in like oh, cars and home, I lack in mental health and sobriety. So worth it. That's a good trade. I would take that trade. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a mixed bag i promise <laughs> yeah well i have none of them so i, I need something going for me yeah well fair, fair enough <laughs> all right you guys it's been good all right, all right. Pleasure. Back later. 
Ziel. Alright, we're back and we're talking new me. Are y'all ready? Yeah. Yeah, new day, new me. <laughs> Sweet. All right. Well, this is a this is a bit of a long story. It goes over a few decades and it has to do with General Motors, Toyota, the UAW, um, and like I said, why no one could find toilet paper last year. It's a it's a big complex issue. So uh, hopefully it'll go a little bit quicker than uh, than we usually do, but no guarantees. (laughs) (laughs) We're on a time crunch, but, uh, you know, it's cars and comrades. We're going to see how it goes. (laughs) And uh, I'm a little just accept that, like, you only start a podcast if if your skill is saying in an hour what could be said in five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, I'm pretty hungry, so I'm going to try and figure up, f- uh, finish up here without uh, saying anything stupid or whatever. But I'm, a, um, I'm also a few drinks deep. <laughs> Keeping right. it real. <laughs> <laughs> hey, maybe I should be drinking on an empty stomach. Oh, I don't know. Let's see. I haven't been drinking as much because of all of the mushrooms I've been eating. <laughs> all right. So our story begins in 1963 when General Motors opened the Fremont Assembly Plant in California. It's in the Bay Area, sort of like a suburb of uh, San Francisco. I don't know. I've never been there. So for a long time, they built. Uh, pickup trucks and GMA body cars there. So like the Chevelle, uh, Tempest, Cutlass, Skylark, stuff like that. I'm familiar. Yeah. Also the El Camino and Caballero. Oh, sick. Um, so as was uh, the case with a lot of American car factories, they valued quantity over quality. Um, and they... A big part of that was you never stop the line from moving. Uh, in fact, it was basically a fireable offense if you stop the line for any reason. Uh, hmm. There was a, I so some some of my sources for this. Mostly, I took a lot of stuff off of Wikipedia, but there's also a really good um, "This American Life" uh, episode about this from 2015. Uh, where they actually interviewed some of the factory workers and some of the management. Um, and it's really interesting. It's it's very much from a liberal uh, viewpoint. Like, they don't have very many nice things to say about the union. Um, but, I mean, This American Life does do decent in-depth yeah. stories that are interesting. But, like, like anything else, you can look at liberal sur- sources for news but you have to understand that like, Oh, this is a liberal source. What are they leaving out? What are, you know, you just look at it through a leftist lens. That's all. You just have to know what you're looking at. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's, it's generally pretty difficult to find a, a, a true leftist source for a lot of stories. Uh, you know, it's becoming less and less true, but if you're, if you're going back a little ways, it can be difficult. So yeah, you, you, you take what the libs say and do with it what you will. <laughs> And a lot of this has to do with like um, management philosophy and different ways of doing business. So like I have like Forbes is one of my sources that I got here. So there's there's a lot of like business major bullshit that I was 
trying to read and make sense of last night. But <laughs> basically, with this plant, like, and with a lot of General Motors plants, um, if you had a defect on a car, they would just push it off to the side and deal with it later. And that was often in the parking lot of uh, of the plant. So they just had all these, like one of the workers was talking about how they'd get like um, a Chevelle with a cutlass front end put on it and stuff like that. Or like some guy would show up drunk to work and forget to torque down the suspension bolts or something <laughs> like that. <laughs> I, re- I relate to that guy heavily. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there's a, there's a lot about this workforce that I'm like critical support guys, you know, like, <laughs> Maybe I wouldn't go into drunk or go into work drunk, but like, I kind of respect the UAW for standing up for these guys. I've I've never gotten drunk before work, but I have still been drunk when I wake up to go to work. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, so it, it opened in '63. By the 1980s, the adversarial relationship uh, between labor and management had deteriorated to the point where. Employees drank on the job, uh, smoked weed, were frequently absent. Um, sometimes up to 20% of the workforce was absent on a single day uh, so that nice. they couldn't actually start the production line. Dope. <laughs> and there were uh, like this petty This is my acts. model for a better world. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd like to have a place where, you know, work is a little bit more relaxed so you don't have to like get high to like dull the pain. But, yeah. uh, you know, we can't have everything. So and sometimes workers would commit petty acts of sabotage, such as putting Coke bottles inside door panels so they'd rattle and annoy the customer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Amazing. You did not warn me how awesome this story was going to be. <laughs> oh, my God. That's that's got to be. OK, hold on. Someone we, we got to send an email to the UAW. This has got to be a new tactic. Every union needs to know, hey, put, put coke, make rattle shit, make shit rattle. It'll yeah. be great. Oh, man, this is great. But uh, I, I heard this one uh, tidbit. I couldn't find a confirmation for it. It's just something I heard years ago. It might have been at a different car plant, but I heard a story of someone putting a um, uh, like a beer can in a drive shaft and then welding up the ends on it. yeah so like whoever the customer that got that car was like i can't figure out where this rattle is coming from (laughs) it took it took some digging to find (laughs) i bet jesus christ i can't believe they had the money to find that rattle can you imagine right Well, yeah. that's why, like, yo, my car's under warranty because it's six days old and it's rattling <laughs> like hell. Like, <laughs> yeah. So even the the leader of the local UAW uh, called them the worst workforce in the automobile industry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is the dream. <laughs> um. So yeah. So like, basically, anytime they were trying to the the company tried to discipline the workers, they would just uh, make a bunch of grievances up about the management. Or go on strike. So pretty cool. Uh, But by 82, uh, GM had had enough of their shit and just closed the plant and laid off all the workers. Boo. Yeah. Um, So that actually, hold on. That actually does seem really drastic for a few like, hey, a few cars rattle. They sabotage a few. Like they work. So I get it. But like 
to close down the plant actually does seem pretty extreme. I mean, I'm it, sure they were still yeah. making plenty of money. I mean, I think they also had a plant in Oakland at the same time. So I don't know. Maybe they just transferred stuff over there. But like they closed it for two years and they actually started to demolish part of it. But then uh, eventually they got in business with Toyota and they started a new uh, joint venture called NUMI, which stands for New United Motor Manufacturing Incorporated. Hmm. And so this might seem like a strange thing, like the two biggest car companies at the time, or at least I, I don't know, they are now. I'm not sure if Toyota was as big at the time. But basically, you know, because of like uh, American fuel economy standards, GM was having a real hard time making like small fuel efficient cars that you didn't don't suck. <laughs> yeah. So like think of the uh, Chevette or um, the Vega, you know, not the greatest quality vehicles out there. Um, I don't know. I know a guy with a big block with a big block uh, uh, Chevette and. Wait, no. Vega. Yeah. Uh, he's got a big block blown Chev- uh, Vega and it, uh, it it moves. Yeah. I know a couple people who actually defend the Vega and say that they're good cars, but um, they had a, an aluminum block and an iron head, which just seems like the dumbest idea ever. Uh, there is a few other issues with them. Yeah. I mean, I also have a lot of friends with drug problems. It happens. <laughs> <laughs> what was I going to say? So... Um, so basically GM wanted to have some of that small car technology that all the Japanese uh, manufacturers seem to be doing pretty well. And the reason what Toyota got out of it was they wanted to enter the, the North American market more, but there were um, tariffs and taxes on importing uh, cars from Japan, especially pickup trucks. Um, I think we talked a little bit about this in a the previous episode. Tax. But yeah, the chicken tax. Um, yeah. I don't know what what it has to do with chickens necessarily, but there was a tax on importing light trucks. And uh, before this plant opened, what Toyota would do is import the trucks without the truck bed on them. And then there was a company in California that would put the truck beds on them and sell them in the U.S. And so that's why if you get a Toyota truck from the very early 80s, like pre-84, um the truck bed will rust out before the cab of the truck because they made them out of different (laughs) grades of steel. (laughs) So, um, yeah. Needless to say, the rest of the truck was a lot better than the the bed. (laughs) But let's see. So they got this plant, um, you know, built up and, and, uh, you know, eventually they hired back 85% of the old workforce. Uh, but they didn't get their old seniority from the union. That was part of the oh, negotiations. That's horseshit. Yeah. That's horseshit. Um, yeah, fuck that. But they also sent a bunch of the more senior um, or more um, experienced workers to uh, Toyota's plant in Japan at the Takayoka. I, I, I'm probably going to mispronounce some Japanese words here. Um, and that, that was to learn the Toyota production system and also actually work on Corollas and different cars, uh, Hiluxes that they were going to be building in California. And there's some really interesting um, audio of that in the This American Life episode. Like they actually got 
like um, news programs from Japan uh, from the same time. And they also, uh, so GM had 16 managers at the plant and Toyota sent 30 of them. Because uh, also Toyota wanted to learn what it's like working with an American workforce, what the UAW is like. Um, and it, in fact, part of, for part of the time, the CEO of Toyota, Tetsuro Toyota, actually went over uh, to the plant and worked there. Um, so, uh, uh, worked there. Yeah. Or... Yeah. <laughs> he did stuff there. <laughs> let's say, <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll go a little bit on a tangent here about the Toyota production system, a tangent on cars and comrades. <laughs> um, it's also called the Toyota way. Um, I'm not really sure what fits into which one, you know, one is an older way of doing things. And I think the Toyota production system is the more modern thing. I might be getting that backwards. Um, but it's a set of guiding principles. Um, it's It applies to executives all the way down to the production floor and also includes their suppliers. So um, it's a uh, it's focused on long-term profit, continuous improvement. Uh, the word for that is Kaizen. I, I, that comes up a lot in Japanese industry, uh, teamwork and eliminating waste. Uh, so some of these principles are using a pull system to avoid overproduction. And this is what's also called just in time manufacturing or, um, just in time production, uh, lean manufacturing. And, um, that's it's a it's a production method aimed at reducing times within the production system and basically you can think of it like if you go to a grocery store and you get a box of cornflakes off the shelf you buy it they scan the barcode it goes into the grocery store's computer they know to order more um cornflakes from the supplier and then you know kellogg's or whoever knows to make that many more boxes of, of cornflakes. Um, Again, this cannot is, stress this enough. Don't buy fucking Kellogg's until the strike is over. Exactly. Yeah, that's just what I had in my mind. Um, but yeah, yeah, I know we were talking about it earlier. That's why it came <laughs> up. But like, don't buy fucking Kellogg's. Just yes, wait. thanks. Just wait a little thanks. bit. It'll probably be over by the time this comes out. But if <laughs> Kellogg's is still on strike, don't fucking buy it. Yeah. And and so like this works really well for certain industries. Um so that you don't have like a big inventory. You don't have a warehouse. You don't have a storeroom in the back that's full of uh, inventory. Um, so like, I don't know if, how many of our listeners or, or any of you guys have uh, worked retail, but like when I worked retail, like if some customer came up to me and said, oh, could you go check in the back for if you have any extra of these? You know, there's none on the shelf. Nine times out of 10, there'd be no, none back there. Like, whatever storeroom there is, there is, is pretty lean. Yeah. Uh, and so basically I would just go in, in the storeroom, check my phone, you know, and then uh, go back and say, no, sorry, no, none in there. To be, to be fair, you know? I, I did work at an auto parts store for a while. <laughs> so a lot of stuff was in the back, but um, yeah. usually it was like, Hey, if it shows up in the computer, it's there. If not, right. Chances are very slim, although not impossible. Um, yeah, for us, it was more that like somebody would be like, can you check in back? And we would just be like, well, I literally know for a fact that we don't have any, but I'm going to walk into the back just so that you shut the fuck up. Yeah, exactly. Yes, 100%. Yeah. 
And and when I said check my phone, I didn't mean like looking at the inventory on my phone. I meant like looking at Facebook or something for a couple minutes. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I got that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the downside of this system is that it requires producers to forecast demand accurately as the benefits can be nullified by minor delays in the supply chain. Like, say, if there's a uh, pandemic or maybe a container ship stuck in the Suez Canal. Oh, it's more than that. Uh, my partner works in, um, you know, supply chain analyst stuff, demand planning, that kind of shit. And uh, yeah. it's plagued by IT issues, too. Everything's fucked yeah. up all the time. It's always wrong. It's garbage. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, you need 10 billion boxes of cornflakes <laughs> at this one store? It's, yeah, believe me, that is <laughs> very common. And apparently, yeah. and my partner is always telling me, sir, she's like, she's like, they, there was literally 8 million boxes of this and no one thought it was strange. <laughs> it's, like, yeah. it's I'm, I'm telling you, it's, it's kind of a joke. <laughs> like they think they're sophisticated, but like, Ooh, it is not there yet. Yeah. I mean, it's only as good as what information you have and what supply lines you have, you know? Yeah. I love that what we're describing is is we are struggling to accomplish what Salvador Allende almost accomplished <laughs> in the early 70s. Right, exactly. Stafford Beer or whatever his name was. Well, no, uh, 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 Salvador Allende of Chile. It was Chile, right? Yep. Yeah, yep. but he hired a British guy named, I think, Stafford Beer. Who, oh, 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 okay. Who was, uh, you know, in the field of the, what they called cybernetics. Uh, it's a little bit different than the common usage today yeah i know, um, I know I, that they had like a, a super like futuristic like master control room that was like whatever but like i actually didn't suppose- know any of this i only knew about the coup for the most part and the like oh Allende was cool yeah Allende it was called was uh actually, project cybersyn uh so uh, Allende was actually working on a, like a, a computerized system to make a planned economy more efficient and effective and so like um, I remember reading that one of the big hurdles that he had wasn't the computer system. It was having like, uh, just like to make up examples, like you're, you, you have the steel mill. Um, they're not producing the kind of steel that you need and something is being built that's going to need it. So like, you know, their, their master control room would send all of the orders to the mill or to the construction site or whatever. And the big problem that they had was not actually the computer system. It was getting uh, the like management at the different facilities to actually like keep their like inventory up to date and like everything. Like huh. it basically, like, it seems like it might have been a good system. I don't know it inside and out, but like it was just early in development. And then you know the U.S. is like, ah, sorry, we don't like what you're doing, and you got to die now. Yeah, ah. <laughs> hmm. um, and I think. And I think when the uh, the military, um, whatever, was it the Navy that, that cooed him? I forget. But whenever they broke into the CyberSyn control room, they just took it like an axe to all the computers just because like, of course this is did. socialist machinery. We got to get <laughs> rid of this. <laughs> of course. Well, I actually didn't know that about Allende. That's that's um, that's pretty cool. Yeah. And um, there's a podcast called General Intellect Unit that did a series actually that's basically all they talk about is like cybernetics and central planning and stuff and like you know using computers to um do that kind of thing there's also the book uh the people's republic of walmart 
if you want to like nerd out about like planned economies and uh you know logistics and stuff like that it's a pretty good read hmm. but uh what was i gonna say I'll, I'll i'll see if i can put that in the show notes but um oh yeah another thing about the just-in-time system is uh it may also impact negatively on workers due to added stress and inflexible conditions you don't say <laughs> yeah so that basically means like when an order comes in for 10 billion boxes of uh cornflakes you gotta fucking ramp up production real quick and, and when it's, Kellogg's, it's hard to ramp up production when you've already got your guys working seven 12 hour days a week exactly yeah so it's not the greatest system in the world uh but toyota because of you know like they didn't have a whole lot of resources in the post-war period they didn't have big factories to like store parts in that was the system that they came up with that worked for them basically um but the problem is like all these you know uh, anyone with a business degree now reads this book about the toyota way and they're like oh the key to success is just to trim all the fat and get rid of all these warehouses and you know computerize everything and it's like well that works if if you also like maybe follow some of the other parts of the toyota way um, like, uh, you know, build a cultural, uh, culture of respect and, uh, you know, among the workers and the management. I thought you were going to say build a cultural revolution and I'm like, yes. 100%. <laughs> I mean, that'd be cool too. I don't know how well it would work for uh, long-term profits, but, uh, so I'm so, concerned about profits. <laughs> so another principle of the Toyota way was leveling out the workload. Uh, their phrase is work like the tortoise, not the hare. So basically trying to make it a little bit more even. So no one's like stressing out. No one's, um, you know, sitting idle. And they would also rotate job roles uh, among a team so that uh, you wouldn't get burned out just like riveting the same thing for 12 hours a day, you know, 52 weeks a year. I'm actually very into that. Yeah. Um, they also gave permission to, to any employee to stop the production line at any moment, if there was a problem and to call over a manager to fix it. And, um, some of the American workers were like totally amazed by this because like at one point, you know, they stopped production and they're like, well, this tool isn't working for the job that we have. And a manager came over and looked at it, you know, took some measurements. And then like that afternoon, um, the engineers had designed a better tool to work in that situation and they were using it again and, you know, making the production faster. Okay, so, so they were, so just, just to paraphrase up to the point that we're at right now. Uh, it, so you're saying in Japan, when there was a problem, the company worked to fix it. And in America, it, they just ignored everything until eventually the workers just got hammered at work every day. Exactly. Yeah. I and see, it, I see no connection between the two <laughs> ideas. All right. Continue. And it extended to the, uh, the suppliers too, like GM, uh, like basically when some of these, um, managers came back to the U S and they tried to implement some of these changes in GM, uh, like they would get a part from a supplier that doesn't fit on the car and they would call up the supplier and they're like, well, that sounds like a you problem. And they would call up the GM engineers and like, we need to design a different part. And they're like, uh, I mean, it works for all these other factories. Why are you guys complaining about it? 
So like there just wasn't that culture in GM at the time. If there is today, I don't know. I doubt it. But <laughs> yeah. Listeners, if you work uh, at a GM plant, write in and tell us. <laughs> so December 1984, the first car uh, rolled off the line. It was a yellow Chevy Nova. And this is the, I believe it was the uh, front wheel drive Nova that they made in the early 80s. Yeah. What year did you say? 79? Uh, 84. Oh, that was a dog shit era of Nova. I have, I disown that. Yeah. I didn't know uh, the Nova was even around then. Yeah. It didn't look like a Nova by then. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think it, it had some Toyota parts in it, too. I'm not sure. I can um, live with a Nova that doesn't break down all the time, but it just looked awful. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they started producing the Corolla there in 86. And um, actually, they had um, similar quality to the uh the corolla is made in japan um and also uh, around the same speed of production um so they were you know it was working actually the factory first turned a profit in 91 and that's when they started uh building the toyota hilux there uh or also known as just the toyota pickup so we mentioned the chicken tax and all that and then let's see and that's how they created al-qaeda <laughs> <laughs> pretty much that that quality uh quality california manufacturing if they had just never made the high lux we would not have terrorism <laughs> uh well they'd probably be in nissans or something i mean i am obviously joking yeah um so then toyota um started opening its own plants in kentucky canada and uh Somewhere else, too. I don't have that in my notes. Um, but they're like, oh, we don't want to do this whole union thing anymore. So um, we're going to we're going to try and get away from that. Oh, great. Yeah. So I don't think there's any uh, you, I don't think currently there's any unionized Toyota plants in North America. I might be wrong on that. Um, yeah, yeah. Fuck that. Um. Yeah, basically, like I said, Toyota had a, a tough time, um, you know, implementing these changes in the U.S. Uh, one of those managers did go down to a factory in Brazil, and um, they were successfully able to implement a lot of the Toyota system. But, you know, GM was a little resistant to change uh, in those days. So uh, in 2009, uh, because of all of that and because of the financial crisis uh they filed for chapter 11 bankruptcy they uh they ended up scrapping the uh the pontiac line which was i i believe the pontiac vibe or no i don't think they were making i think they were making the pontiac vibe in canada uh they were making the toyota matrix which is the same car in at numi um yeah it's it's a little bit weird um, so those were both like Corolla based hatchbacks. They're pretty, pretty decent cars. Um, they, they had all these negotiations. They were trying to figure out what to do with this plant now that GM was starting to pull out, uh, and downsize. Um, so Toyota was like, uh, we could, we could build a, like a Prius hybrid and then GM could like badge it as a Chevy or something. You know, we could do something like that. 
and then eventually that broke down and they they decided not to do any of that and um they closed the plant so well hold on it's actually quite a bummer i mean yeah it's like silly as it as it like is private labeling and what like but like hybrids would have probably gone a little bit further if there were more brands that like even if it was the same fucking car more brands putting out hybrid vehicles like you'd get these idiot like you know who who don't want to buy a, a toyota because they think it's whatever tos- toxic masculinity kind of shit but like if chevy made it you know you'd get a little bit more traction i think um and i mean it probably would have been a drop in the bucket but like you know we would have probably been a little bit further along yeah i'm not sure i mean i think shortly after this is when they developed the um their own hybrid cars what was it the uh the volt chevy volt which i don't know if that was a a good move because they i mean they only made those for what like 10 years or something if that Hmm. but um yeah i mean it it's an interesting what could have been sort of scenario if GM had been a little bit more open to change and yeah, you know, maybe if Toyota had been a little less, you know, a little, little more pro union, but, um, a little less anti-worker. Yeah. So, uh, on April 1st, 2010, the plant produced its last car, a red Toyota Corolla. you right. Yep, cats just knocking stuff over. Okay. Um, so, and then eventually, uh, um, Tesla bought this factory, and now it is the Tesla Fremont assembly plant. And uh, as we've discussed, uh, Tesla has some problems, uh, especially with safety, like worker safety. And the first um, I've heard of this. Yeah. <laughs> so they've uh, they've gotten a little bit of attention from the EPA and uh, OSHA um, quite a few fines on at this plant. Um, so April 1st, 2019, uh, they reached a settlement with the EPA over uh, mishandling of toxic waste. Uh, oh, Tesla, allowed... No. <laughs> Tesla allowed hazardous waste to accumulate on site without a permit oh, beyond the allowed yeah. 90 days. Great. Yeah, they left uh, two uh, 55-gallon drums of hazardous waste open with no gasket or locking mechanism. God damn it. This is like a cartoon. This is like you see (laughs) those 55-gallon drums in video games that you're like, why are there always these 55-gallon drums? Here these motherfuckers are. Oh, my God. (laughs) Also, like, not not to to argue for Tesla. Like, I'm surprised that two two 55-gallon drums of... (laughs) Of material was enough to get a fine over, but yeah, uh, th- there's more. Um, okay, that's <laughs> probably not the reason the EPA was there. They tack that was the tack on. <laughs> I <Yeah>. bet. <laughs> uh, they also violated air emission standards for three leaky transmission lines that the waste moved through. So they just had some pipes that were dripping toxic waste somewhere. Nice, cool, yeah. sounds normal. Um, and in 2013, there was an accident when a low pressure aluminum casting press failed, spilling molten metal on three workers and causing their clothing to catch fire. Oh no. Which sounds, uh, pretty, pretty terrifying to just be sprayed with molten aluminum. Yeah. So yeah, they were, that. 
they were fined uh, $89,000 by OSHA for that one. There was also an incident where a, uh, a worker's fingertip got severed. And then let's see, I was going to read through, uh, this is, I think, oh yeah, a Tesla worker is getting hurt because Elon hates the color yellow. Oh, uh, yeah, I have heard is... about this. Yep. <laughs> so uh, among the more baffling details in the report are several sections about Elon Musk's personal tastes appear to have affected the factory's safety for the worse. His preferences were no, were well known and led to cutting back on those standard safety signals. Musk apparently really hates the color yellow. So instead of using the aforementioned hue, lane lines in the factory floor are painted in shades of gray. So like, I don't know. I mean, this is true of the shop I work at, but generally speaking in a, in a um, factory, you've got these painted yellow lines and you know, okay, I can walk, I can walk inside of these lines and it's nothing's hopefully going to like, you know, come out and poke me or whatever. But if I go inside those lines at someone's work area, they might be grinding some metal. They might be riveting something. They might be, I don't know, cutting something. And, you know, it might be a little bit dangerous. Um, so Musk just doesn't like this. So he's like, uh, you know, just paint them a different color of gray. Uh, so it's not so uh, so clashy. So Tesla denied this and uh, I guess sent them some photos of some yellow lines. And they're like, see, see, we got light yellow lines. Musk did also not like the uh, having too many signs, uh, like safety signs up. Uh, he also didn't like the beeping sound that forklifts make. When okay, they well, reverse. how can you disrupt the car manufacturing world <laughs> if you've got <laughs> safety things in place? Real workers want to invest in crypto and not have safety at work. Okay, that's yeah. that's what we're about <laughs> over at Tesla. Let's not forget, man, the, the future of, of political economy is in crypto and gaming. <laughs> we don't need to produce any physical, tangible objects. Just everyone can be a streamer and get paid in Bitcoin. Uh, I, think, I feel like on this show, we just we should just start replacing uh, crypto with tulips. Um, <laughs> yes, <laughs> because, you know, and for listeners, especially young ones who maybe n- don't know this uh, in the, I don't know, 1600s, 1500s, I don't know, somewhere in Europe, I it was like the 17 or 1800s, it could be it could have been I thought it was earlier than that. There was the tulip bubble. Um, so if you don't know what that is, you should pause the show. You should Google that. Look at the Wikipedia as to what the tulip bubble is. And you'll notice, I mean, it's a it's a lot like crypto. Um, it's just people were trading tulips like they were fucking assets, much like crypto. So a lot can be learned from that. Just saying. (laughs) Yeah, I think it was in the Netherlands and I think they still produce a lot of tulips there, but it was a, it was a big deal for a while there. Yeah. Back in the day. Yeah. Caused a crash and everything. (laughs) Yeah. You guys know about the bread wars, right? Was that the Buttigieg thing? Was he involved uh, with that? No, uh, the bread wars were in um, France before the French Revolution. There was some asshole who got in the ear of the king and was just like, actually, you know, if if we deregulate the markets, 
it will be good and prices will stabilize themselves. And almost immediately there was like a shortage of flour and bread became scarce. So the prices skyrocketed and they, pe people rioted until like bread prices got like stabilized. And like, like basically it was one of the first attempts to ever like do like an actual neoliberal economy where there's like no regulations and it failed spectacularly almost immediately. <laughs> nice. Like nearly so, got the king deposed and was an early catalyst for the uh, a small event that not a lot of people have heard of called the French Revolution. <laughs> yeah. So that was, uh, they were getting rid of regulations or adding more regulations? I forget what you said. I, I mean, it was, it was effectively like, feudal france so it's, uh -huh. I'm, I'm sure there weren't like it wasn't regulations as we know it but th there right. were some protections to make it so that you couldn't charge like 50 dollars for a loaf of bread and somebody was like oh, actually okay. if it like an early like sort of capitalist economist i forget his name basically said like if you remove these protections things will actually benefit everyone better yeah. and will make more money and what it turned out that meant was that people almost starved and had to riot in the streets just to get bread again. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. But yeah, so a, a former safety lead at the Tesla factory said, um, it's just a matter of time before someone gets killed. And then uh, another employee attempted to call attention to these problems and then eventually resigned in frustration. Oof. Yeah, not good. So, um, and that's about where we are today. Um, I know, I think it was last year, uh, Musk threatened to close the plant because, and, and move to Texas, I think, because, uh, you know, um, California wouldn't let them reopen, uh, during COVID, uh, soon enough for his taste. I mean, technically he did move the headquarters to Texas. Yeah. I know that so much. I guess so... I don't know. I don't know what that has to do with this necessarily, but he's an asshole and he did that thing. Right. Which is an important lesson. Again, capital can move. Workers cannot. Yep. Yeah. Like all those 85% of the, the NUMI uh, staff that were out of work for two years. Yeah. Now, I don't know. Mike Rowe says that workers should just move to where the jobs are. That's <laughs> yeah. true. You know what? That's a very reasonable... Yeah, I mean, uh, I've thanks. never heard him say any other dumbass shit that's, like, <laughs> overtly pro-capital. <laughs> He's a real hard-working guy, though. Yeah, that hard-working-ass opera singer. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, For anyone who doesn't the... know his micro's background before Dirty Jobs, he was a fucking opera singer. The notoriously yeah. blue-collar profession of singing opera. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. and also um, uh, getting getting a free house to live in from your famous uh lover <laughs> yeah I, I don't even know about that jesus i don't remember all the details but i know um i think it was uh it was on street citations fight. needed podcasts <laughs> this um, episode feels less like we're recording an episode and more like we're airing our grievances <laughs> with rich people oh yeah <laughs> like even more so than normal <laughs> yeah it's a uh, festivus has come early <laughs> But uh, yeah, I mean, I know Citations Needed did a good episode about why Mike Rowe is full of shit, and they had uh, Brian from Street Fight on there. No, so perfect. That's a, yeah, that's a good one. 
Oh, I have heard that. I forgot about that. That that fucking rules. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's been a while. I should have listened to that again. That was I remember that being really good. But yeah, so some of the cars that were produced at Numi over the years was the Chevy Nova that we mentioned earlier, the Corolla, the Geo Prism, which I think was just a rebadged Corolla. Toyota. No, Hilux. I don't. Th- I don't think so. I the was Prism, it? I think, was its own thing. The Corolla was that like an Isuzu thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was like it was so Geo had the Metro and whatever the other one. I don't think it was the Corolla because the Corolla was actually decent. Geos were never good, I don't think. Or maybe they just earned that reputation falsely. And it was, in fact, a Corolla, which was a decent car. I don't uh, know. It was a it was a rebadged Toyota Sprinter, which is derived from the Toyota Corolla platform. Okay, platform is a um, a loose term. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's the platform thing is why I can pretend that my Cutlass is a Chevelle. Or yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, so they also did the yeah the Toyota Hilux pickup and the Tacoma, and then I I saw different um, sources on this. Some said that they made the the Pontiac Vibe and the Toyota Matrix there. Some said that they only made the Vibe there. Some that they only made the Matrix there. Some, I'm not sure. One of them they made in Canada. One of them they made in California. Um, They also made a Toyota version of the Pontiac Vibe that they sold in Japan as the Toyota Volts. So Hmm. they took a Toyota, put some... Pontiac styling on it. Then they put some Toyota badges on it and then they shipped it across the ocean to, to um, Japan. And uh, it didn't sell very well. I think only like two years or something. So yeah, it's a, it's a weird little thing. Um, there's a, I'll, I'll try and remember to put this in the show notes, but there's a, a Doug DeMuro video about the um, Pontiac vibe GT which is the high performance version of that uh, hatchback. A pretty decent car from what I understand. Yeah, we, um, we talked about it in a recent episode, which I then Googled and was like, damn, I kind of want a fucking Pontiac Vibe GT. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're pretty cheap, but I, oh, I kind of want to. Hold put... on, maybe I should get that as a daily. Hmm. Yeah, because winter's coming and winter's coming and the new job's going to require me to drive a lot. I'm. <laughs> I'm on winter tires, but my partner's like, you shouldn't be driving that race car in the snow. And I'm like, well, I, sh- I, it's what I got. So no, yeah. 100% she's right. Because then if you wreck, you don't have a race car. Right. That's true. No, I look, maybe <laughs> I told her I'm not getting a, a, an extra car. I was like, I'm not doing it this year. Maybe next year, which I've been telling her that for as long as we've been dating. So oh, here's to another year. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I was like, OK, she's like, can you promise me you will have a contingency plan? If it's really a bad winter, will you consider buying a, sec- a daily car? And I was like, yeah, all right, I'll consider it. Pontiac Vibe yeah, GT might be the way to go. Car guy, but your girlfriend's telling you to buy another car, and you're like, I don't know. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's less money for the race car. You, you got to understand here, and I have two already. It's just it's unmanageable. <laughs> you just gotta get out from under. I have twelve. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I. uh I, I mean, they are pretty good cars. Like, I think they make around 170 horsepower. 
um, you know, they're they've got like a Toyota version of VTEC, but I think it only kicks into like at like five or six thousand RPM, um, and like redlines at seven or something. Hmm. So like that second cam profile doesn't come on until you're way up there. So it's a very peaky engine. Yeah. Um, mm. And I think it's pretty high compression. So I think it needs premium gas too. Oh, I'm sure uh, it does. But like, yeah, they're, they're, if they're pretty cheap, quality vehicles, if they're cheap and like halfway decent, like, because like I want, here's the thing. When I want, when I get to get a daily, it's always like, Oh, it's gotta be something with a manual. It's gotta be something zippy if I can get it. Right. So it's like I need a little something, and if if nobody's looking at the Pontiac Vibe GT, that's what I'll go for, or the Matrix equivalent, whatever that is. XRS, I think. Yeah, it's something like that. It's like XS or some shit. Um, yeah. yeah, something that's like easy easy to look over. That's a good daily for me. Yeah, because the Z is bad in the snow, even with snow tires. It's maybe maybe two inches off the ground although i think that's being a little too generous so uh that's yeah. a problem <laughs> i saw um i saw a a vibe gt around here for sale for like four thousand bucks so like they're not super expensive like you can get a decent one for for not too much yeah um, i just googled it and granted this is carfax i feel like you can definitely find shit cheaper but these are all fairly high mileage, but they're all clocking in the like five to seven thousand range. Hmm. I'd have to look. I'd, I'd want something less than that. But yeah, you could probably find a shitty one for less. But shitty one is what I'm looking for. If I'm <laughs> if I'm looking at all, we'll see. Yeah. Wait, this is this is fucking Carfax. Like I don't know this shit inside and out, but I'm guessing that if you actually put the effort in, this was just the first thing I clicked on. But if you put the effort in, yeah, you're gonna find something less than that. Yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. you can find a base model for like no, but the base probably, model ain't but... the, no, no, no. <laughs> that's <laughs> not. What we, it's got to be zippy, otherwise, I'll I'll take the risk of crashing the race car, or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, there's also the second gen one you could get with um, a V6 and all wheel drive, but I think that was only with an automatic. Boo. Yeah. Yeah, automatic automatics are only good if you want like to go fast <laughs> <laughs> they're just not as fun that's what it is I, I, it's it's about fun to me they're they're fast automatics are faster often nowadays they're better on gas but uh they're not as cool and fun i like to you know smash the little, little gear lever just like boom i put it i did that myself all all me <laughs> no i'm i'm i actually want to put a manual in the cutlass eventually just because a, a, like a Tremec five speed with overdrive would still be a better, like more fuel efficient upgrade from running like a three speed. Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> and, and you're not wrong, man. Shifting gears just makes you feel like you're in a race car. Even if you're in the most dog shit thing you could find. Dude, my first car was a 96 Toyota Camry piece of shit, but it felt like a race car because it had that stick shift. And I was like, yo, this is great. Then it started a long-term addiction to cars and, all that stuff, but <laughs> anyway, we're we were on a topic of some kind. Are yeah, we? I mean, that's about all I've got right now. Um, what an interesting joint venture plant that got sold to a piece of shit billionaire. Yeah. 
Yeah, I don't know what the takeaway is for for this one. Um, what, what an interesting model of efficiency that prevents people from unionizing. Yeah, and and creates you, you can't get toilet paper. Oh wait, did I miss the toilet paper part? How did this affect toilet paper? Oh, just like the oh, just in the time supply. For, yeah. Uh, thing. Oh, so and like, that's, oh, that, that was then applied to toilet paper, and then that's why we couldn't get toilet paper to wipe our our, our booty holes. Yeah, well, it's basically been applied to everything. That's yeah. that's the nature of the the whole just in time process. Yeah, and well, I so think they um, were the so this was where it came from. I guess I just didn't I didn't get that yeah. takeaway. Now now I'm really driving it home that that's the takeaway. They started it. It's their goddamn fault. <laughs> well, it's not necessarily their fault. I mean, it's it's not their fault that it got applied to toilet paper. It's you know, I mean, yeah, it works fine. Ask. It kind of sounds like you're saying that maybe they had a decent system for it. And then other people saw that and ignored all of the like safeguards and just let things exactly. go. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's my takeaway. I'm not sure. Like I, I didn't go to business school. Uh, so I don't know the full story, but, uh, you're probably smarter you know, than right. them anyway. Fuck them. <laughs> oh, <thanks. laughs> yeah. I didn't, I didn't go to school to learn stupid as, uh, the time cube guy would say. But yeah, that's about all I have. Uh, you know, don't buy Kellogg's. Uh, join a union. Um, uh, don't buy a Tesla. That's my yeah. advice. Yeah. And if IATSE goes on strike, support them too, man. Yeah. Oh, actually, how would you? How Brandon? How would you support them? Like, what is crossing a picket line with IATSE? I, I actually, I genuinely don't know. I, I don't think that there is anything. Like it's, it's support us in like, I'm, I'm sure if, if it gets to that point, there will be strike funds and things like that. But unless I, I don't, I can't imagine what you would do to boycott the entire film industry shy of doing that. No one's going to do that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Strike funds and yeah. all that stuff. That's good. You know, like with Kellogg's, it's easy to buy another brand of cereal, but IATSE is the entire film industry. Yeah. And if we go on strike, the workers might struggle because that is what going on strike does. But there's not anything you're going to do to hurt the companies where we would be hurting the companies enough just by like holding up all of the productions. Gotcha. Yeah, I I forget if I mentioned this already, but there was a someone on Twitter was like, Oh no! Does this mean that my Marvel movies are not going to come out on time? <laughs> you know? Yeah, I did see that, and that person can go fuck themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I think they got pretty pretty piled on in the comments on that <laughs> yeah, one. Yeah, I'm sure. Like, who cares about the worker as long as I get to watch another Captain America movie? Fuck right. <laughs> yeah, these movies just you know spring fully formed from the head of Zeus or Stan Lee or whoever makes those things i don't know i think i've seen a couple of marvel movies that stood out to me as good but by and large they're just you could replace any one of them with any other one of them and i wouldn't notice yeah i mean if you know listeners if you like those movies that's fine i they're not really for me but whatever i liked them for a while but you know i'm out of it now it's much better (laughs) i will say that i really enjoyed the black panther movie uh yeah, because they like they I, I really dig like the Afrofuturism aesthetic and they did some fun stuff. 
Uh, the villain was one of the more compelling ones, but you know, he he, he had a good message. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember what it was, but I remember liking it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have seen those memes where like whatever the villain's name is did nothing wrong or whatever. Oh yeah, I haven't seen that, but I yeah I can't remember it well enough to like try and argue the point, so we'll just leave it at that. Yeah, I've never seen the movie, so I don't know. Um, well, I think let's uh, wrap it up. Anything else before we uh, stop recording here? No, I think uh, I think we're good. Let's let's not have. Oh, uh, do you want to plug socials? Oh, uh, yeah. Hey, if you're a listener, you should probably follow us on social media and stuff. It's like you know that's cool. I got memes and you know, all that fun stuff. Uh, so we're on Instagram at Cars and Comrades Podcast. Uh, same with Twitter. And we're on Facebook. Go ahead, like our page. If enough of you do it, maybe I'll start posting there. <laughs> Which we've been saying it's a bit on the show now. But, you know, go like the page. Maybe I'll post some shit there. I think we uh, got like 11 people following it currently. So thank you yeah. to those people. If you're listening. You're doing, you're doing God's work. <laughs> um, we're also on Reddit and Hexbear and... Um, any others? Hexbear, if you don't know, is the old Chapo chat, which is its own social media network, apparently. Yeah, I, I've been posting on there sometimes, and, and we got some pretty good feedback from the uh, the last episode about lead, uh, you know, lead gasoline and stuff. So, yeah, thanks for everyone that, that said nice things about us. Oh, we should also, um, we have an email uh, that we check once in a while. I don't know, Try sending an I email mean, there and see what happens. But uh, yeah, it's cars and comrades at gmail.com. Pretty simple. Like everything else we do, it's just our name and then the thing. So, yeah, I mean, people are constantly telling me how simple I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I think that's all of them. All right. We did it. That's it. End it. Sweet. We're over. It's finished. All right, We're we so bad at this. End it now. We gonna make you fight fire with fire, bitch. We make you fight fire with water, bitch. We gonna fight racism, not racism, but we gonna fight the solidarity. We said we're not gonna fight capitalism with black capitalism, but we gonna fight the socialism. <laughs>